The Edge is copyright 2006 by Scott Wittenberg. To learn more about this and other novels by the author, please visit scottwittenberg.com. And be sure to check out The Mayday Murders, another free podcast currently available by Scott Wittenberg. Chapter 10, Part 2 Laura suddenly emerged, carrying an armload of destroyed fins. "'Think this'll be enough to get your dumb tire started?' she said as she dropped a load of fire in a heap next to the tire. "'Good show. Yeah, this ought to do. I'm thirsty. You want a beer?' Laura asked, opening up the cooler. "'Yeah, thanks.' Laura took out a pair of beers from the cooler, popped the tabs, and handed one to Adam. Adam took a healthy swig of the ice-cold lager and said, "'It sure isn't getting any warmer out here. Better get this fire started up before we freeze to death.' He placed his beer in the sand and picked up one of the fence posts. He broke it in two by placing it against his knee and pulling back on either end. The wood snapped with a dull crack amidst the sound of wind and surf. He then laid the shattered pieces of wood on top of the dried weeds lying in the tire and took his cigarette lighter out of his pocket. At first he had a hard time keeping the lighter aflame long enough to ignite the brush in the stiff wind. Finally, he succeeded in getting the kindling ignited, and in a short time the wood caught fire as the wind fanned the flames. The tire itself eventually ignited, and soon the beach was lit up in an eerie glow of flickering orange and yellow. Pretty neat, eh? Adam said as he stood back and gazed at the roaring fire. Yeah, I've never heard of using old tires for campfires before, Laura replied. Well, they come up with a lot of weird things to do in the Midwest. It's amazing how clever one can get out of sheer boredom. But surely you missed it a little, don't you? Your hometown, that is? No, not really. Moving to New York is probably the smartest move I've made in my life. The only thing I miss about my hometown is my family and my old friends. I guess I do miss Mother Nature a bit, too. But that's about it. Adam picked up his beer and took a drink. Let's move the cooler by the fire and sit down. Sounds good to me. Adam dragged the cooler over and they sat down together. Laura pulled the blanket around them. As he felt Laura's warm body against his, Adam instinctively put his arm around her and pulled her close to him. He resisted the urge to kiss her, as difficult as it was, deciding it best not to push things. He also considered the possibility that she might resist him, which would surely ruin everything before it ever got started. For a while they sat in silence and stared at the blazing fire as they sipped their beers and smoked a cigarette. Occasionally, Adam would shift the position of the burning tire with one of the fence posts in order to keep it burning evenly. The tire burned rapidly, literally roaring from the fanning effect created by the gusty breeze coming off the ocean. The smell of burning rubber was present but tolerable as it dissipated into the constantly blowing wind. Adam held her even tighter and gazed out at the ocean. Beyond the crashing surf he could see a full moon high overhead, its reflection shimmering on the surface of the waves. He glanced down the length of the beach and became aware of the stark isolation that they alone were a part of. It had always been this way, he thought to himself. All they needed was their own little world and each other to live in it. The sand, the sea, and Laura and me, he thought. What fitting words. No one else, just the two of us. Surely she must feel it, too. God, this is great. Maybe she's already reconsidered everything. She must have. Why else would she have come tonight? This was just like it had been before, as if nothing had ever happened. Everything's going to be okay. I just know it. A penny for your thoughts, Laura said. Adam took a gulp of his beer. Oh, I was just thinking. It's just like old times, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. 
she replied, the slightest note of hesitation in her voice. Adam didn't notice it. I've really missed you, Laura, more than you could ever imagine. Ever since that night when you told me it was over, I've been dying a slow death. I've tried to put you completely out of my mind, but it just isn't possible. I really think I'm going crazy without you. Really? I'm slowly but surely going off my rocker. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I... Before he could finish, Laura put her arms around him and kissed him. At first, she kissed him hard and passionately. Then, just as suddenly as it began, it ended. She slowly withdrew from him and looked directly into his eyes, her eyes reflecting the glow of the fire. She spoke slowly and with purpose. Adam, there's something I have to tell you. I really can't see you any more. We can still be friends and all, but that's about it. I just don't want to get any more involved in this. Adam was devastated. He couldn't believe what he was hearing. Before he could think of anything to say, Laura continued, I like you, Adam, very much, but we're just not right for each other. You have your career, and I know that's where your heart really is. I would only be a burden to you. You've got it all wrong, Adam objected. We were made for each other. For the first time in my life, I've decided to put something before my career, and that something is you. Besides that, you're an inspiration to me, not a burden. Laura paused for a moment, then said, Even if what you're saying is true, it doesn't really make any difference. I don't love you, Adam. All I've ever wanted to do was to have a good time, which I've always had. I even told you that the first night we were together. Surely you must remember. You told me that you felt the same way about me. Or have you forgotten? Anyway, everything has run its course now, and it's time to get back to reality. I've got my own life to live, and you have yours. I'm sorry, but it's as simple as that. But things are different now, Adam protested. And things can change if we just try to change them. The only reason that things haven't been real is that you live so damn far away from me. You could move in with me and get a job in the city. You could go to college there, too. Adam was desperate. I know we can make things work out. I'm afraid you're evading the main issue here, Adam. I don't love you. If I did, then maybe things could be different. But I don't. Adam stared into the fire. He knew he was defeated and there was nothing else he could say. Laura had given him the answer to the question he sought. She didn't love him. He had pretended to himself that he hadn't heard her say it the first time, but when she had said it again, the words finally hit home, like a nail in his heart. He turned his head and faced her. Her eyes revealed pity, as if she knew what he was thinking. For a moment, she looked as if she was going to cry out of that pity. Adam could bear it no longer. Life no longer had any meaning to him, and all he wanted to do now was run away, away from Laura, away from himself, away from life. Let's go, he said flatly. As he started to pull the blanket away from his shoulders, Laura stopped him. She kissed him gently on the cheek. I'm sorry, she said softly. Adam took one last look into her beautiful eyes, then stood up. He began dousing out the fire by kicking sand over it until it became a mass of smoldering embers. He then folded the blanket and tossed it on top of the cooler, as Laura stood by and looked on in silence. As they began making their way back to the car, not a single word was exchanged between them. Adam clearly didn't want to speak, and sensing this, Laura thought it best to remain silent. Moments later, when they reached the car, Adam silently opened the hatch, set the cooler and blanket down in the back, then slammed it shut with a resounding note of finality. During the drive back to Laura's house, 
Adam kept his eyes trained straight ahead at the road, and spoke only when he needed to ask Laura for directions. Throughout the drive, he drank no less than two beers, as the music blasted distortedly from the back seat speakers. When they reached her house, Adam pulled into the driveway and kept the engine running as they both got out of the car. He walked her to the door and told her good night, then made his way back to his car. Once inside, Adam threw the gear shift into reverse and spun out of the driveway. His mind was void of any clear thoughts as he pulled out from the dead-end street and began making his way to the access ramp leading to the highway. When he pulled back onto the road, he blindly selected a new tape from the dash compartment and inserted it into the tape deck. It was the Beatles' White Album. He turned up the volume as loud as it would go, then turned around to grab a fresh can of beer from the cooler. He popped the top, gulped half of it down, and lit up a cigarette. The whining jet intro to back into the USSR blasted out of the speakers as Adam drove too fast, not paying any attention to the speedometer. If he was picked up for speeding, he didn't care. If he had a head-on collision, he didn't care. All he cared about was getting totally smashed and forgetting everything. ASAP. Everything. Twenty miles later, as the alcohol took its toll on his mind, Adam found himself mesmerized by the music and the white lines on the highway that kept darting at him, then disappearing. There was a soothing quality to the little white blurs of white, and he soon began imagining himself as an airline pilot taxiing down a runway. He was en route to a destination unknown, and this was the most critical part, the takeoff. He glanced down at the gauges. Fuel. Check. Oil pressure. Check. Steering. Check. RPMs. Check. All systems go. He suddenly heard a voice crackle over his headset. Flight 909, are you ready for takeoff? Roger, Adam replied. He glanced down at the tachometer. 4,500 revs. Time to gun it, he thought. He pushed down the accelerator and simultaneously pulled back on the steering wheel as far as it would go. The turbines roared in response. The white lines darted by quicker and quicker until they all but disappeared. Suddenly the nose tilted upward and he could feel his entire body weight being thrust back against his seat. He was off. The sudden wailing of a siren snapped Adam out of it. He looked into his rearview mirror and saw a pair of flashing red lights about a half mile behind him and quickly gaining on him. He glanced at the speedometer. Eighty-five. Quickly, he took his foot off the accelerator, threw the gear shift lever from fifth to third gear, and let out on the clutch. The little four-cylinder engine whined loudly in protest as the Celica promptly slowed down to sixty-five. But it wasn't soon enough. The flashing lights were right on his tail. Adam started to pull over. Just then, the pair of lights flew past him. It was an ambulance. Heaving a huge sigh of relief, Adam merged back onto the highway. He slugged at his beer and burst out laughing. Fuck it, he cried out loud and pushed the accelerator to the floor. In a few moments, he spotted the exit for the Grand Central Parkway and merged onto it. After another ten minutes of weaving and chugging, he managed to get off at the Hoyt Avenue exit. When he reached the intersection of 31st Street, the light took too long to turn from red to green, so he ran it. He sped through the remaining two lights until he was across from his apartment and parked the car. He took the cassette containing the new song, got out, and made his way across the street to his apartment building. Once inside his apartment, Adam closed and locked the door behind him and made a direct line through the cluttered hallway to the kitchen cupboard. He removed a large glass, 
plunked in a couple of ice cubes, and filled the glass to the brim with straight bourbon. He stood and chugged the whiskey as if it were water until he nearly gagged and had to stop. With his head reeling, he staggered into the studio and inserted the cassette into the tape deck. Then he turned the stereo on and went back into the kitchen. Adam sat down at the kitchen table and listened as the song started playing. After the quiet intro, the lyrics seemed to suddenly leap out of the speakers, as if to taunt him. With the passing of each verse, the words that had come so easily to him, Adam could feel the pain and despair growing stronger and stronger in his heart. He fought back the tears until the song reached the chorus, and finally he could hold them back no longer. As he wept, he felt as if the whole world had caved in on him. His entire life suddenly seemed totally useless, and his will to go on living evaporated as he thought of the countless failures he had experienced throughout his life. Success had eluded him one too many times. He was a total failure. Finally, when the tears would no longer come to bathe his self-pity, Adam merely stared out of the window into a blank, sullen daze and drank. Outside, there was blackness, a total void, a dark world that no longer held any meaning to him. He sat that way for an hour, until he could no longer keep his eyes open. Then, in a totally drunken stupor, he got up slowly from the table and turned everything off, before staggering into the bedroom. Fully clothed, he made his way to the bed and fell heavily into it. As he lay on his back in the darkness, he heard a soft, soothing voice creep into his head. The gentle, feminine voice kept repeating over and over, Sleep, Adam, sleep, in a lulling monotone. Sleep, Adam, sleep. Just when Adam felt his mind slipping into unconsciousness, the voice began taking on a musical quality and eventually became a beautiful melody that he had never heard before. Sleep, Adam, sleep, the voice sang to him. As the soothing melody filled his head, he soon found himself drifting on a raft on the open sea. The sky sang to him through the rainbow-colored clouds high above him. He heard the waves of the sea gently lapping against the sides of the raft as he drifted slowly without direction further out to sea. Occasionally, one of the waves would splash onto his naked body, only to evaporate suddenly from the effect of the warm rays of sun filtering through the clouds. The sweet singing voice began getting louder and seemed to be getting closer. Suddenly, the wind parted the clouds and he could see a small hole in the sky that seemed to open up to infinity. Then he saw her face beautiful face. Her lips opened and closed sensuously as she sang down to him. Sleep, Adam, sleep. She was peeking through the hole that led to eternity. The hole opened up, slowly revealing her body, her neck, her bare shoulders, her breasts. Her skin was soft and shiny, the rays of the sun shimmering on her naked body. She sat on the edge of the hole, her long slender legs crossed in a casual pose. She looked directly into his eyes and sang her beautiful song, her arms outstretched to the open sky. She was beckoning him to come, to join her through the hole to eternity and everlastingness. Suddenly, the hole closed up. She disappeared from view. The singing ceased. The sky turned to black and it started to rain. The raft began leaking like a sieve. He was sinking. Adam awoke with a start. He looked around but could see nothing but darkness and the luminous dial of the clock radio. It read 3.05. Why am I awake? He thought to himself. 
All of a sudden, he was hit by an enormous wave of depression and pain as the accounts of the night flooded into his semi-conscious mind. Laura! Oh, God, it's all over! Why, God? Why? Then he became furious. Why won't you let me sleep, God? He pleaded out loud to the dark, empty room. In a rage and on impulse, he bounded out of bed. He entered the kitchen, and in the dim light, located the bottle of bourbon sitting on the kitchen table. It was half empty. In a single swoop, he grabbed the bottle by the neck, then stood for a moment as he took one final look at his somber apartment in Queens, New York City, USA. Then he turned around and bolted down the hallway to the door and stormed out. When he reached the street, he crossed 31st and began heading briskly toward Hoyt Avenue, taking occasional swigs from the bottle. When he reached Hoyt, he proceeded west and glanced ahead at the Triborough Bridge that loomed ominously in the near distance. He immediately noticed that some of the lights were burned out, and he thought that was a good omen. This will be easy, he thought to himself. Within a few minutes, he reached the stairway leading to the walkway. He climbed up the steps, taking two at a time, and once he reached the walkway, began making his way up the gradual incline that ran parallel to the oncoming traffic. Adam continued walking purposefully along the walkway. His mind was void of all thought, save for one thing. He must end it, and he must end it now. He took a gulp of bourbon and shivered violently. Soon he spotted the fringe of Astoria Park below him, a virtual cemetery in the dark night. He went several yards further until he spotted the river, then began walking more slowly until he was directly over the middle of the East River. Adam leaned against the railing. A fierce wind blew into his face as he gazed down the length of the river along the Manhattan skyline. This view was much better than the one on his roof, he noted to himself. Then he took a large gulp from the bottle and peered directly down below him. He estimated the distance. About a hundred and fifty feet, he approximated. The current was swift, as he noticed occasional bits of debris moving rapidly along the water's surface. Swift enough, he thought to himself. He took another belt from the bottle and closed his eyes for a brief moment. This'll be easy, he thought. Just a few seconds, and it will be all over. He drained the last ounce of whiskey in the bottle, then hurled it into the river. Seconds later, he heard its answering splash as it hit the water. Then, with a heavy sigh, Adam slowly climbed onto the only barrier that stood between him and the river below. This'll be easy, he repeated to himself over and over. The East River awaited him.